Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. We are really excited today because we, in the heat of summer, are talking with our good friends, our new friends from Mississippi. We have uh, three awesome guests here who are from MDE and Jackson Public Schools. Melissa, welcome. Uh, I want to say hey to you before we welcome them to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. I'm excited to have our friends from Mississippi. I know that uh, when the NAEP scores came out recently, somewhat recently, a little, little while ago now, but when they came out, Mississippi was a really big deal for um, how, how much improvement they had. So we are excited to talk to them about all the great things that are happening down there. Welcome, Mississippi. And I'm going to start with Kristen, and then maybe you could pass the ball on um, from there. But Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lori. Thank you for having us, um, and I'm so excited to be joined um, by um, Jill Hoda, and I'll let her introduce herself, as well as our partners in literacy, um, Jessica Pichamutu, who is um, a curriculum, well, elementary curriculum lead in Jackson Public School District, uh, which is one of the school districts within our state. So I'm excited to have them on the line, and I will mute and let them introduce themselves. As Kristen mentioned, I'm Jill Hoda. I am one of the Assistant State Literacy Coordinators for the Department of Education. And as Kristen is the K through 12 Literacy Director, um, my main role, my biggest job is supporting literacy coaches across the state um, in schools from the coast to the Delta and beyond. And so we are uh, supporting literacy coaches through many elementary schools in the state of Mississippi. Hi, I'm Jessica Crosby Pichamutu. I'm very excited to be here. I am a curriculum lead for ELA Elementary Division One in the Jackson Public Schools. And I'm really excited to be representing my team um, from the Office of Teaching and Learning and all the work that we've been doing with Jackson Public Schools and our um, ELA initiative. Excellent. Thank you all so much. Um, Again, we are so excited to talk to all three of you, and I think we wanted to start out by talking about that big picture of what's happening in Mississippi. You know, we have Jessica here to talk specifically what's about what's happening in one district, but we'll um, start with big picture. What's happening in the state? What kinds of things did you guys, do you know of, or do you think added to the increases on the NAEP scores? What are things that you just see as happening statewide that are, are exciting in literacy? Yeah, so um, Mississippi, I would have to say, literacy in Mississippi has evolved over time. Um, and um, really, when we started off in this work, we had no choice because the future of our students were was in jeopardy. Um, when we started, we started this in 2013. Um, and that's when the legislative 
legislators passed the Literacy-Based Promotion Act in 2013. And the Literacy-Based Promotion Act provided um, a cohort of uh, literacy coaches, and we entered the lowest performing schools. In addition to that, it was there were some key components that were really specific um, that that laid out we had to have screeners. We had to inform parents. There were some things within that piece of legislation that were really crucial to our work. We It provided professional development. Um, and then again, with the literacy coaching support as well. So our journey started in 2013 with the idea from our governor that we would have 75 coaches that went into our lowest performing schools. And we had, and Jill can attest to this, um, over 600 applicants that applied. And then this is this is why I say literacy in Mississippi has evol- evolved because out of 600 applicants that applied for those positions, that first year, 2013, we only got 29. Um, and that included our state director um, at the time and our assistant state director. Um, and so, since then, we have created um, this cadre of coaches. And in addition to that, um, that 29, only having 29 really told a story that we really needed to focus in Mississippi on building teacher knowledge of the science of reading um, and ensuring that our teachers were informed on, on how to do that. They really, to really understand what it took um, or what it takes to teach students how to read. And so that piece of legislation was key in what has happened and, what's has, and what has transpired over the last seven years. This initiative began as a three-year initiative. And we, are, we just closed a seven-year chapter mm-hmm. on this. And we've impacted so many schools and it's, it's changed the lives of so many districts. We've watched over seven years. Districts go from being the lowest performing districts in our state to now with our accountability rating, their A and B school. And, and Jill and I have been a part of that since the beginning in 2013. Um, and it's just amazing. It's, it's taken a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifices. Um, but I would really have to say what attributed to that was the professional development that we provided teachers, um, the law that was passed that included that, and then the technical support through coaching and ongoing supports to district. Um, and then we had other things like our early childhood um, laws in our uh, establishing our pre-K, um, the early learning collaboratives. So making sure that we had a real focus in Mississippi on students reading at grade level by the end of third grade. So yeah, so what we did in 2013, so we had coaches like literally, we were building the plane and flying it at the same time. Like, no joke. So spring of 2014, we procured through Voyager Sopris, 
uh, letters training, language essentials for teaching, reading, and spelling. And so we procured that training. Our coaches went through it. We had the first cohort of teachers across our state to go through that. Um, and what letters training is, it is grounded in the science of reading. So um, it right now they have letters third edition. So it addresses the challenge of learning to read. It, it addresses the speech sounds of English. It, ta it talks about teaching phonics, uh, beginning phonics skills. It goes into advanced decoding skills, oral language and vocabulary development, understanding reading comprehension, um, text-driven comprehension instruction, and, and then it also talks about the reading and writing connection. And so originally this training letters was a 10-day face-to-face training. And you know that's in te the teaching world, we cannot... Um, have teachers out today. So we went to them and said, we need to consolidate and, and condense this training so that we're, we have some kind of model where we can get teachers in the face-to-face, -face, but we need uh, uh, online. So they created this online platform for, for us. And so it was a blended model. There was an online component and you went through the modules and there were eight modules. And so you went through those and then you went to two-day face-to-face training. Now, mind you, like I said, we was building this plane and flying at the same time. So we did not have a system where we go in and you can sign up and register. Our coaches went out to districts and said, and we sent an email to every district and said, we have this training. We are offering it for free. You know, we know the state of literacy that our state is in. Um, send your teachers. We our coaches went out and we literally had anchor charts in the office, assigning, finding spots, assigning people to trainings, helping them get online. And so we really were hands on in getting the first cadre of teachers and coaches trained in, in, in this um, particular training. Um, and so we have, in over seven years, trained 15,000 educators. Wow. Wow. This particular training. That's amazing. Jessica, do you want to add to that? I saw you. Yeah, I just want to say that, um, you know, I grew up in Mississippi, but then I went away for many, many years. And I believe it was six years ago when I returned to Mississippi. And the first job I had back in Mississippi was as an interventionist, you know, mostly pulling on my reading specialist background to do interventions for students. And I was um, so pleased when I found that as a new hire in Mississippi, I was required to do the letters training and that when I went to my school and began working with the classroom teachers they had that background that we could build on together. And that as people were being hired to work in our schools, they were getting that background. So um, that was a really exciting part for me, kind of returning to Mississippi and having that already in place. And I had no idea what kind of work had gone into making sure that that was happening. Oh my gosh, I bet that was such a relief for you as a coach because you're like, now they have the knowledge, right? to execute. Um, what, 
just a quick sidebar. What what did they use once they were in the classroom? What was their systematic phonics program? You're talking about at the school I was working in. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, did it, did it vary? I guess my question is more is like what wasn't, and then also like did it vary? Like did they have did schools could schools choose their own programming, or was it also something that the state kind of regulated? Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm in a in a very um, kind of unique position in that regard because I began working as an interventionist in a Montessori public school in Jackson Public Schools. And so, you know, that the in the classroom, they were doing the Montessori phonological building. Um, I can't, I'm not Montessori trained, so I can't remember exactly what it's called, but they were doing the works in Montessori. And so then um, as an interventionist, um, I would pull them out um, and support them in their reading if they were struggling. So I, I can't really speak to what other schools were doing in Mississippi around that because we were somewhat unique. Yes. Yeah, so we, so uh, let me back up a little bit. So letters training for our lowest performance schools um, was mandatory when we started this. So if you received a coach and, and you are identified as one of our lowest performance schools, we call them literacy support schools, um, then you had to attend the letters training. And what ended up happening in our state, because I know many of you can attest to this, um, we were a balanced literacy state. We were. All of us have been trained in it. We we. That's what we knew. And so (laughs) when this, when we we received the letters training, my particular district had done some pre-work in it. So, you know, I had some foundational knowledge with it, but when we bought it, when we procured it, um, it was like, oh my God, this is going to be incredible because now I get this complete deep dive that we really needed and, and that we didn't get in the district per se. But what happened was once we got our literacy support schools started tr- getting trained, then our other schools, because the way our coaching model works, our coaches are tied to school districts. They were like, well, we're hearing about this letters training. We want it. We want in. We want to be offered. So we partnered and we hosted some of those trainings and other district is Jessica was in Jackson Public Schools and a neighboring district wanted to have a training for their teachers, they got together and they pulled their teachers together in Jackson Public Schools may have the facility and this neighboring district may come to that facility. So our districts that were really heavy in balanced literacy that were like not going to give it up, when our kindergarten readiness, our K readiness assessment um, is also a part of our literacy-based promotion act. And when the assessment results came back in and our literacy support schools outperform some of our um, A-rated districts or our districts that were um, in other areas, then it was like, oh, well, maybe we need to check this out. And maybe we need to look into this additional training. So then after creating relationships and people started seeing results, um, when again, you build teacher knowledge of the science of reading, they're able to apply it in their classrooms. And then you start seeing this results. Then we, we 
we had more districts want to sign on to letters training, uh, several other districts. And then we opened it up. We opened it up to pre-service teachers. We opened it up to um, higher ed faculty. We, op- we opened it up to K, we just recently opened up to K-12 teachers, mm-hmm. but we opened it up to special education teachers, K-8. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to get that buy-in because we started to see those results with teachers gaining that and building new knowledge um, of the science or in the science of reading. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it also sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you're really thoughtful about inviting lots of stakeholders and getting buy-in through, you know, understanding that like K-8 special educators, not just limiting to like K-2, right? Making sure growing buy-in in that regard. Melissa, I'm sorry, were you saying that? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I <laughs> we just started letters training last year here in Baltimore. And I think, I think we're at that like first year that you guys probably were, where, you know, people are seeing that it, it makes a difference, but it's really great to hear like the seven years in version of that, <laughs> that um, just, just having everybody speaking the same language and how, how important that training really is. Um, you know, it's not, it's not just having a foundations curriculum, which is what we use in Baltimore or whatever it might be, wherever you guys are, but having that, that knowledge and training um, from letters is just, that is a really powerful statement that you guys just added in there. So thank you. Yeah. One of the things that um, while you were talking, it, again, I'm thinking of another question, but it, it think about um, in Wit and Wisdom, um, you know, we have those geodes that are the bridge between um, your foundational skills and your core knowledge building instruction. And um, so I was thinking about you know the program that you might be using and how geodes could support that bridge. But in the geodes professional development, um, there's uh, one of the resources is a Harvard business memo. And it I will link it in the show notes um, if I can find a live link. Um, but it basically underscores the importance of not only, um, you know, the, the fun and consuming awareness that we're talking about and that instruction and, and having teachers be um, really adept at, at all of the things you just said, right? Like understanding um, all of the components of letter-son relationships and how to teach it um, and the systematic approach to it, but then also building knowledge at the same time. And so I'm just wondering um, if, you noticed like that as teachers were in this journey that they, they were hungry for more, like, did it make them, um, as they were learning more about, you know, starting to learn about the science of reading, then did they start to, to wonder about the whole knowledge building component of, uh, and like what happened next? Cause I feel like, like you're, you're really primed, like in your story, I'm like, what happened next? And I know the answer. Cause I've, we talked already, but I, I want every, all the listeners to be like, Oh, I bet they're thinking what happened next. They're like driving in their car or they're shopping at the store and they, they want to hear like the next part of your journey. Um, I, I just think it's such an exciting uh, story. So like in that seven years, if you could kind of mark where you were and when, and then your next steps in terms of like adopting that um, high quality curricula and what happened. <coughs> So I'll say this, and I know Jill can jump in too. So in Mississippi, we focus our efforts on informing teachers and building knowledge around the science of reading. So we took that time to invest in 
professional learning for teachers and coaching. So what happened in our state is that now our teachers or our teachers got to the point where they were able to identify and say, hey, this um, curriculum that I'm using or that I've been given, these, this set of materials that I've been given, um, is not in a necessarily in alignment to the science of reading, to what I've learned and what, I've, what I know. Or this material has these gaps. And because I, I build my knowledge and I understand what should be happening, in the progression of that, then I know now know how to fill the gaps. So now we're at the point, and I'll and I'll say this too, um, where Mississippi is a local control state. So we because letters is not a program. Um, it was easy for us to say that out front and say this is not a program. Um, this is just the application, the strategies, the skills that teachers need, the research and how they need to understand um, what it takes to teach students how to read. And so we were able to get into in that way because of local control, districts have the autonomy to choose the curriculum that they want. So what we're doing now is on, on a larger scale, we're working with CCSSO, with their high quality instructional materials, PD. Um, and we're in this group of eight other states. And our goal with that is to increase the number of districts selecting um, high quality instructional materials and to increase the numbers of pre-service and in-service teachers that we provide professional development grounded in those materials. So we have a goal as well that we're working on that by 2022, 80% of our school districts would have adopted or would adopt high quality instructional materials. And so we're working now with ed reports um, to create a rubric to review curriculum because we're up for ELA adoption in our state. Um, we're working with SAP um, student achievement partners to provide to go back through the instructional shifts um, and what that looks like when we're talking about knowledge building and text complexity. Um, and so we're working on that. We just finished shift training, and the and Jessica is really instrumental in this because her district was really proactive in saying, hey, before all of this comes out at the state level and what they're doing, they went ahead and they are one of two school districts in our state that adopted that have adopted with wisdom, which is considered high quality instructional material. Yeah, Jessica, can you talk a little bit about that? How did how did you guys get out in front of this? Well, sure, I would love to. Um, so at Jackson Public Schools, we had um, were really looking at, you know, what do we, where are we, and what do we need to do? And they, you know, contracted with some people to do some comprehensive needs assessments. And something that really stood out in these needs assessments was a recommendation to develop a plan that ensured a comprehensive curriculum throughout the district, and that it would be you know, a high quality 
um, curriculum. And so they put together uh, an advisory group. And I was um, really excited to be a part of that, where we would then look at the different curriculum and kind of make some decisions about where we needed to go in Jackson Public Schools. And we really um, looked to ed reports for a lot of guidance on that. You know, we looked to the reviews there and, um, you know, Witten Wisdom got such high, high reviews and ratings into when it came to complex texts, when it came to, um, you know, building background knowledge and vocabulary. And that was very impressive to us. Um, I also personally kind of appreciated that it really didn't try to tackle the phonics and phonemic awareness aspects and, and kind of said, you know, other people have done that very well. And um, they partner, well, I don't know if it's partner the right word, I'm not entirely sure, but um, schools then can get those other foundational skills to go with it. And so we chose to do foundations um, right along with Wit and Wisdom um, for that aspect. So we really were looking to um, outside reviews to figure out what would be um, high quality for our students, because we wanted to make sure that all of our students in Jackson Public School were getting access to high quality curriculum. That's awesome. And can you, do you mind sharing a little bit more, Jessica, about, and, um, you know, Jill and Kristen, obviously, if you have any insight as well, but I, I'm going to start with Jessica since she's on the ground. Um, what was that implementation like? Um, and is, is this the end of your year one? Yes. So we've had one year. So like you had maybe like six months, right? Exactly. 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 Okay. Um, You are not alone. I, we have lots of listeners who reach out to us and they were like, we only got half of year one in and you know, it's, it's hard. So, so preach because I'm sure everybody uh, can relate. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in, in some ways it's really difficult and kind of sad that we didn't have like, you know, that full year and really get to kind of the fruits of that. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping going with it. And so let's see, this first year of implementation, you know, it's been, it's been very exciting. It's um, had many challenges, and we've also seen many successes. So our elementary schools, we have um, 33 elementary schools, and we took on widespread implementation in 31 of them. Um, two others are magnet schools that had a different um, different pro- specialized programs, but uh, a 31 element, and they even are looking at kind of ways to to um, see how wit and wisdom might support their instruction as well. But um, 31 schools took on this widespread implementation, um, and what was really exciting was when we saw teachers really um, kind of embracing these new. Um, instructional shifts that were required in order to teach wit and wisdom, seeing them embrace it and then become leaders within their school, you know, working in grade level teams to kind of help bring along the other teachers, um, being leaders in their buildings, really helping to um, support um, all the teachers throughout their building and the, and the district as we took on such a big lift. These, these big instructional shifts. Um, teachers report 
okay. you know, we didn't, we didn't have kind of end of year testing, right? So there's not a whole lot of data necessarily to go on, but a lot of um, anecdotal um, information about the successes. And so, you know, teachers talked about students being engaged in ways that they have never been in the past. Um, they talked a lot about vocabulary use and how students were actually using the vocabulary that they were learning. They were using them in their conversations, using these words in their writing. And that was ex- just very exciting to, to hear and, and witness. Teachers also talked about writing. You know, we really focused a lot on the reading instruction. Um, There's a lot of writing that is involved in Whitney Wisdom as well. And it was just um, really exciting to see how much students were writing, as well as the quality and organization um, and organizational skills of their writing. And And it, you know, it really kind of it seems to me that that part about once students build background knowledge and have something to say, that writing will become so much easier for them. And, and it was just amazing to kind of watch that happen, um, as well as all the supports that came along in terms of how to organize your writing and how to think about that. So those were, those were kinds of the things that teachers were seeing in the classroom that they were getting excited about and would cause them to then try to work with their teammates to, to spread it around. Uh, we did a lot of um, professional development to support our teachers and our administrators. We worked closely with Wit and Wisdom for them to come in and provide professional development, but then um, the curriculum, curriculum leads, myself and my colleagues, Renata Johnson and Cartessa Bell, we worked really closely with Wit and Wisdom to then develop follow-up PDs and continue the work that we were doing. Um, the, the, the wonderful PD that Witten Wisdom provided for us were the spotlight visits. Um, and that we had assistant superintendents, principals, and um, curriculum leads, and our, um, you know, our partner coaches with the MDE coming in and doing these um, walkthroughs through the school and observing full lessons, observing multiple parts of lessons, and really having a chance to kind of celebrate success at that time, but then also dig in deep and see where we needed to move the needle a little bit further and how we then could create plans um, to take some action around some of those, um, some of those successes and places where we needed um, improvement. Um, so those, those yeah. are kind of like a lot of the successes that we felt while implementing it in our first partial year. <laughs> yeah, Jessica, you remember you said this was year what zero. This was the year zero, and we had a lot of fun too going in. And and Lori, Melissa, I can I can tell you this: at the department, we don't stay at the department. So our work is best served when we can go out and serve and support the district. So Jill is rarely at the office. I'm rarely here, and so we're in schools, and so. Some of the, those spotlight visits, we were in the classroom with them. And just, again, to reiterate what Jessica said, watching the light bulb go off with the vocabulary and the connections that the kids were making. Um, we were all in this one class. I'll never forget this. Never. 
Um, and they were talking about the Boston Tea Party. And so, you know, that's big. That's huge for our kids. I mean, we we don't typically, I have a third grader and a seventh grader. Um, and they're using wind wisdom as well right now because that is uh, mandated by their mother. Um, so... <laughs> Um, they're, they're using it too. And so the kids, we were in the class and they were do- talking about the Boston Tea Party and the circumstances surrounding it and how it came about. And they connected in their little discussion that this group of boys were having to a rap song that was out. And I never <laughs> in a million years would have connected that. And then they start singing the song and I'm like, they're singing the song, but it makes perfect connections. So they were like making the complete connections <laughs> to this, to what, you know, what they're, they were used to listening to or what they were listening. To. I mean, it was amazing. I said, did y'all hear them singing that? And that whole song when the teacher probed them and, and, and she was questioning them and the dialogue that they were having and they took this whole thing and said hey you remember this song and they spit out this whole rap zone that was <laughs> in alignment to it was it was so cool um but to just again see the light bulb go off yeah. for those students in the dialogue that they were having that we you know sometimes when we're teaching strategies and skills we're trying to push kids into doing that but the natural dialogue that they were having it was just unreal and it was awesome that's amazing I'm wondering um you know this was a tough first year (laughs) and you know so obvious challenges that everybody in the whole uh country faced this year but I'm wondering how you guys um maybe Jessica can talk about you know at the district level how you guys supported teachers and students through using wit and wisdom virtually. And then if Kristen and Jill want to talk about what that meant for supporting across the state. Um, so to, we really, unfortunately, were not able to do a whole lot of support around using wit and wisdom virtually. Um, we were just feeling, I mean, there was so much to deal with when COVID hit. And um, there were a lot of a lot of students that did not have access to technology, to devices, to um, high speed technology. And um, we went out for spring break. So we did not take resources with us. You know, we were not preparing for this when we left school the last day, you know, when teachers left the building. And so we were, and then we never returned. So then we were, we were there without, you know, teachers were home without the materials. Um, so we really didn't kind of dig too deeply into supporting with wisdom. It was really just about making sure that we were connecting to our students as best we could. Um, the office of teaching and learning got together and created a lot of, um, not a lot of, but created instructional packets to give out during the meal distribution to really make sure that um, students who didn't have that access to technology had something mm-hmm. to do. Um, and, you know, we, we were struggling with that. We're like, okay, this is kind of a, this, you know, we're really moving the, moving the bar in terms of, you know, the work we're doing with wit and wisdom with these complex texts and conversations around vocabulary and these deep conversations about, um, building meaning from these texts and now 
right now we kind of are going to have to rely on some more kind of instructional packets that didn't necessarily connect with that. But, you know, that was what, what we needed to do at the time. So we got those packets out. But then as we started doing that then and kind of got more into, you know, the fact that we were going to be doing this for a while, teachers then started, you know, reaching out to students um, through their phones, through Zoom meetings. And I know some of the teachers then began to look at some of the um, Wit and Wisdom had knowledge on the go. Mm-hmm. So began looking at some of those videos and ways to, to try to support their students um, in continuing with some of the work that they had been doing. As far as virtual coaching successes um, and challenges, I guess we could say for the department, uh, I know it's been mentioned that, of course, all of our districts do not use the same curricula. And so um, one challenge that we have even before the pandemic occurred was um, that our coaches have to be well-versed in whatever curriculum their school that they're placed in is using. And so, um, and speaking of virtual coaching, I think that it would um, really be focused on how do we teach teachers to teach on a virtual platform and what that looks like. And so one of the first things, one of the very first things that we did um, was just really look at what learning management systems were available and free. Um, And how could we utilize those? And that consisted of not only building teacher capacity, but building coach capacity. And so in doing that, um, we had to give virtual needs assessments and we had to ask, you know, how comfortable are you with technology? Because that looks very different than standing in front of a classroom of 25 children, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, having, Having that happen on your screen and not being able to be in proximity with kids and all of the things that teachers know are part of the game. I mean, classroom management is huge and you lo- you do lose some of that, um, you know, on a virtual platform. So we uh, did a virtual needs assessment for all of our teachers to see what their comfort level was. Um, we also asked questions like, how many of your kids have you been able to talk to? Because we do have limitations, which is an equity issue on technology, right? Um, And I'm not even talking about do children have devices in some parts of our state. It is very, very rural and they don't have access to Internet. So it's not even about does your mother have a cell phone or does your grandmother have a computer? It's about can you get on Internet in where you live? So we ask uh, the question about participation of students. We asked what platforms they were familiar with and then, you know, what what they needed help with. And then basically, and this is probably going to seem a little generic, we moved into our coaching model. You know, if we're coaching, how do we coach in a classroom? Well, first we observe. So that's basically the needs assessment, right? We've, we've taken, um, I guess, an assessment on what they need. And then we move to modeling. So we're showing them how to do it within a teacher PLC, whether that is modeling an actual instructional lesson or modeling what a PLC should look like. And then the expectation is moving into co-teaching and then the expectation is observing them do it. And so while that looked different, um, you know, I had a few coaches who did things where they moved, um, I guess, 
we could say worksheets into interactive sheets where they taught teachers how to do drag and drop activities or, you know, how to have the bird's eye view of all the screens at one time, um, how to watch what their students were doing in real time, how to give immediate feedback to individual students. These are things that we have not had to think about unless you were a lab teacher in some cases, because I know, and I'm not speaking for every school in Mississippi, but some classrooms are not one-to-one. We do not have that one-to-one technology. Um, and so you, we really had to open our eyes to see where our teachers were and how we could support them in that. Um, along with that, professional learning communities. And I had to do this with the coaches that I support. Where is the mute button on Zoom? You know, how do you do a breakout room? And you walk everybody through those things so that they can then transfer them to their students. And so again, it is the it is the coaching model. You're showing them by coaching them through it and then releasing them to do it, um, you know, with their classrooms. There are so many free different things uh, that we had to build content on, and, and I don't know if I should say them or not, but, you know, we've used, of course, Google Classroom, Flipgrid, Padlet, all of those things that some of our kindergarten and first grade teachers have never used before. So making sure that they're just not only familiar, but that they're able to apply these things um, so that the students will have success. So I think that that is something that we really jumped on board with quickly. Um, one thing that we tried not to do, and, and I'm, this is my personal experience, the, the week that it happened and I was home, I was watching three and four webinars a day. I was just building you know, my content on what are we going to do if we have virtual school. And I had to really commit to and make my teachers commit to, or coaches rather, commit to, you're going to get this plethora of resources. You, I committed to, I will not share a resource unless I have read it, looked at it myself, <laughs> prioritized it, and picked, you know, two or three things that I want my coaches to get out of it. Yeah. And so making sure that you we can't overwhelm. It was overwhelming enough just to be at home with our children and our pets and <laughs> all of the things that, you know, this this opened a new world to. So, you know, one one of the main things that uh, I hope that I made my coaches really focus on was pinpointing and prioritizing what the most important needs were for their school on a new virtual platform and what that might look like if we are hybrid or if we are virtual. Yeah, and we had to, just to pick it up back off what Jill said, we transitioned into virtual coaching, but we also had to um, provide some additional support to curriculum coordinators and instructional support staff across the state because they're, we did not want their mindset to shift to say, okay, now we throw the baby out with the bath water. We're not still applying um, or, or looking at all of the knowledge that we've gained. Um, and so we've put out some resources and some webinars on literacy in the time of remote learning. And we show teachers how within the different um, remote learning styles or, or, or the different synchronous and asynchronous, right? how you can 
take that and do some activities with phonological awareness, how you can do some phoneme graphing mapping with phonics. What does um, fluency look like? And um, we've created some of those videos and, and put them on our site so that teachers have access to say, hey, I can take a puppet and I can split my screen and I can teach this public puppet. Um, and, and that becomes my some of my direct instruction and have students responding back and, and do some phonological awareness activities. We really had to be innovative and think outside the box, but we really had to do some learning, professional learning on the front end, teach them how to use the platform, like Jill said, but then transition our coaching that we would normally do normally do traditionally into this virtual setting. Um, while not forgetting social emotional learning. <laughs> we don't have to get into that, but you know, flexibility and grace, those were the names of the game. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanna I wanna jump in that I forgot to mention that one of the things that we also did was we looked um, at the district really pushed kind of using the instructional TV that we already had and pushing some things out through that channel as well so that we wasn't solely uh, relying on the internet. And so um, teachers and district leaders went into the studios and recorded read-alouds and also mini lessons. And one of the things that I, I worked on that I was really excited about was kind of looking at how to support um, the fluency instruction that is in Wit and Wisdom um, that one thing that that was a challenge that we had last year, teachers really struggled with getting students to do that, that fluency work. Cause it's mostly, um, it's a lot of homework. Most of the fluency work is done at home, that fluency rereading practice. And so, um, I knew that that was a challenge in the building. And so I also saw this opportunity to really work with, okay, um, how can we, kind of use this routine for fluency practice and put it out through um, technology. And then, so it was kind of ways of recording, uh, choral reading, uh, echo reading, and different activities to do around the fluency homework. How could that be done through technology um, synchronously and asynchronously? And really looking at also, once we're back in the building, how can we use that work to support the students? You know, let's say they have a center rotation and they're at the computer for center time. Mm-hmm. Then they can spend some of that time doing some of that repeated reading with um, the teacher support of recorded choral reading and echo reading. So that was a project that I worked on that I was really excited about. And I'm looking forward to kind of starting to help roll that out to, to teachers as we move forward, because you know, we've, we've been working this summer to really think about how are we going to support teachers as we reopen, especially not knowing yet exactly what that reopening is going to look like and knowing that whatever we do, we're going to have to support teachers in use of technology in the building so that if they do need to go remotely, they're prepared for that, as well as some kind of hybrid situation you know, now that we're in it. So we're really digging into how can we support them in continuing to use this high quality curriculum that we've invested so much into and that we know that we know will support our students. So we've got to hold on to that and figure out how to how to support teachers in that use. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it sounds like you were really creative, um, which is always a great thing in that space. You, you took those best practices and then you came up with some creative ways, especially to address Lucy. So that's awesome. I, I was thinking if I were a listener, I'm like, oh, I might do that. <laughs> or think about how, you know, if I were a teacher, have, uh, trying to do that within a center. That's a great idea. Uh, so we, Melissa, I feel like it's coming to the close. Um, we have kept you all on here for a really long time and, and we know that everybody has just loved hearing your voices. Um, we ask everybody at the end of our podcast to leave a piece of advice for our listeners. And so, uh, think on a piece of advice. Melissa, do you want to direct the advice or you want to leave it open? Well, I was just thinking that Jessica did bring it up, which is, I think the question everybody is having right now is like, what does next year look like? (laughs) Um, So if they have any advice for, you know, preparing for next school year with so many question marks of what it might look like, that would be, that would be great, but anything would be great. (laughs) Um, I don't know if this is, I mean, I guess this kind of relates to preparing for next year, but I know for myself, you know, I see education as social justice work. And I think that for me, in order to make sure that it truly remains social justice work in in what I'm doing, I have to stay open. I have to question. I have to research. You know, I have to look at, okay, why is it that what I'm doing is reaching 80% of my kids, but maybe there's this 20% that it's not reaching? What do I need to do? And I just, I really believe, you know, I I feel like my advice is to really stay um, open to really continue as educators to constantly be looking for the answer in the research. You know, what is research telling us that will help us prepare our students to be, um, you know, the citizens of the world that we need them to be? Love that. Yep. That's good, Jessica. And I'm going to piggyback off what you say. And I would say my advice would be to stay the course um, and to make sure that it's going to take a village. We always say that. We always use that that terminology or that, that, that term, that phrase, it takes a village. It really is going to take all of us, all hands on deck. Um And for us, that means making sure that we're not leaving out our community partners and our families in this, in the decisions that are made at the district and that are at the school level. And that's what we try to do, again, at the state level. Um, Yes, we're providing resources for teachers. Yes, we're providing um, instructional planning and guidance and coaches for teachers. But there's also an important group and a hand on this, which is our families um, and our students are at home. So we've tried to make it an intentional effort to provide resources and support for our families and parents and to make sure that they are informed at every level um, and and that we're giving them the same or, or similar guidance as to how they can help their child at home. So I would say for everyone, all hands on deck, family, school, districts, teachers, educators, everyone, that we just need to stay the course and make sure that we're working collaboratively and together.
Jill, do you have any advice? Oh, she's pointing to me because I wanted her to add two more things, but I, my advice, and I think that this is just life advice. Um, you have to be willing to adapt, but do keep the goal in mind. I mean, we, we've talked about the goal the entire time. Um, what we can't do is be so set in our ways that we miss meeting our goal and to be able to adapt is crucial in education, but you do have to keep the foundation and the goal in mind. Um, and so I mentioned flexibility earlier. I think it is huge in today as it, you know, as all of this unfolds around us, it is going to be huge in August. And so um, my advice is to just be open, be able to adapt, but do keep the, the main thing, the main thing. Um, we want to provide an opportunity for all children um, to learn to read and to be able to experience literacy in wonderful ways. And so keeping that goal in mind, but knowing that the way that you get there, the past may change. They may look a little differently. Kristen, do you mind adding a little bit about strong readers and Epic before we end? Yes. Yeah, so back to my point about all hands on deck. And making sure we don't leave, leave that group of families and community members out. So what we've done in this time, and this was a project that we worked on before um, uh, pre-COVID, um, was we've created a Stronger Readers website just for families. It's just for parents. It's just for families. And we revamped that site um, to provide activities from kindergarten through fifth grade. It, it, it allows parents to, even from their cell phone, we know how we all are have our cell phones at all times, but they can pull the site up from their cell phone. You can click on your student's grade level or a child's grade level, and it, it generates activities within the five components of reading. And we have those activities with things that you can use in your house, flour that you can put in a pan and write the letters, um, all kinds of different activities. So we wanted to develop that resource and we're adding, that's just phase one of it. Um, and we're adding um, phase two will be where we're looking at partnering with um, our external partners to um, talk about how they can become great campaign for great level reading communities um, and joining that network. Um, and so Jill put the link to our Strong strong Readers um, webpage that parents can access. And we've had just in the small amount of time that we release it, probably about a month ago, we've had 10,000 hits already on that site. So we're excited about that and to continuously push those resources to families um, and, and community members. And then the final resource that I wanted to add is uh, the Epic Mississippi that, that parents can sign up for. There are 10 categories, including early childhood, elementary, third grade, vocabulary for elementary and middle school students, SEL wellness tips, um, conversation starters, parenting tips. You can text 33222 to sign up for those texts, um, or you can even go to epicmississippi.org 
for a list of categories with the keywords. And this is a wonderful way to keep families and communities involved with um, helping their children in literacy. Those are great. Thank you guys so much. We will put all of these on our notes as well and share them with all of our listeners. And we could probably have talked to you for another two hours about all of the amazing things you all are doing. But we thank you so much for sharing what, what you could in our hour today. So we really appreciate you all. Thank, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks.